0: My philosopher, my would never take a human life. Oh yes, this calls for a celebration. I I always thought it'd be wonderful to have, uh, you know, to show Lestat's sense of humor because he is such a bright character. I mean, you live that long, you've read every book, you know, you can play any instrument you wish to play.
1: My feeling having cast both Brad and Tom was basically that in a strange way the world of a vampire is not that different from the world of a massive Hollywood star yeah you know what I mean you're kept from the you you kind of kept from the from the daylight you know from the harsh daylight you live in a strange kind of seclusion you know every time you emerge tremendous kind of ripple runs through people you know and uh, the effects these characters had the way the way uh, um, and described them in the book was like that, Lestat would enter a room and kind of a, an invisible stone had dropped into a pool kind of thing,
0: you know what I mean? And, and to me it was like, it was kind of an interesting metaphor, you know, the kind of stars, vampire, and vampire star, you know? And as well as that, they are eternal youthful, eternally youthful, or they're condemned to
1: be eternally youthful. It was... Um,
0: Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. And today Jack is not joining us because he said, and I quote, I don't know anything about this movie and I don't care for it really. And I, I just I'm just want to say I'm very disappointed in Jack for not not having an open mind. I did come on and do his little baby anime thing and watch One Piece for him. But he didn't want to watch interview with the vampire for me or for you. The fans so i need all of you to go and yell at jack for being so close-minded and not getting down with vampires especially since you know the point of this episode is that we're trying to bridge the gap between golfs and leftists and of course i have the queen of uh golf socialists on w- with us today uh, of the anti-father jamie elizabeth thank you so much for joining us
1: Oh, it's great to be here.
0: Yes. Yeah, so um, I had a great time on your show talking about The Handmaid's Tale. I'm, I've, I've li- been listening to your show for a few weeks, and you mentioned that you will watch anything with vampires in it, and I thought I was the only one.
1: Oh, no. I will watch any piece of crap if it has a vampire in it. Um, I guess the, like, I probably shouldn't undermine my credibility like that, just as we're about to discuss a, a film, but... It's true. Um, I watched True Blood to the bitter, bitter end after it got so, so stupid. No, nobody should have been watching it at that point. Um, I watched Bloodline uh, just because I thought that there would be vampires in it. And I waited about a whole <laughs> season for the vampire stuff to happen before I gave it up to the fact that it was not, in fact, a vampire show.
0: You would think that there would be vampires in the show called Bloodline. Right? What, was the other, what was the other show that also like was supposed to have vampires in it but didn't? The Netflix. It was like a vampire and werewolf show that like never, like they never really showed the vampires or the werewolves. I, I watched like five episodes of it. And I got bored with it.
1: Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds horrible. Fire. You got to show the vampires and the werewolves. It's a whole delicious point.
0: Yeah, there's no point otherwise. But, you know... We're talking about a classic. This is before, this is back when you could have just a movie with just vampires in it. You didn't need to have, you know, a vampire in high school in love with a teenage girl and competing with a werewolf. You know, this, these were simpler days where the vampires were just, you know, two men loving one another and raising a child together. And of course, we're talking about, uh, Neil Jordan's interview with the vampire based, of course, on the novel by and Rice. And Jamie, you told me just before we started the show uh, recording that this was actually your first time watching all the way through.
1: Yeah, um, it's just one of those movies that you just assume you've seen, you know, because it's like permeated the culture to such a great degree. But yeah, I sat down to watch it and I realized, oh, shit, like I've seen parts of it, like when it was just on at someone's house or whatever. But uh, I never watched this masterpiece all the way through.
0: Yeah, it, it, I do consider the it piece. It's really good. I love this movie. This was my favorite movie for several years. I watched it way too young, way too many times because there's tons of uh sex and violence. And I remember when it was first, you know, coming out. Like it was a big uh sensation, like, you know, because it had Tom Cruise, who was like the biggest star at the time and for several years after. And then Brad Pitt, who was like the new guy on the block uh coming along in this big film this adaptation that people have been waiting years for because the vampire chronicles novel series had been you know really big maybe 15 20 years beforehand and they finally were doing it with you know a legit director like neil jordan who's done oscar caliber of films before like it all came together in this thing that we don't really get anymore where you have like a, an actual film that's also like massively popular and a rated R too. Like you have now you just have like the Marvel movies, which are just, you know, segments of a TV show. Like they don't really feel like movies so much, but back, th- back before, you know, the mcu era you actually got you know real adult movies that were actually you know kind of good and interesting and weren't just about like cgi fights and shit
1: yeah it's interesting that you say that there's a lot of sex and violence in it because that's one of the questions i wrote down when i was watching like do the vampires actually fuck in this movie i is it implied or i don't think they do
0: all right. So I was going to ask you if you read any of Anne Rice's books. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't if you're asking that question because she goes into great detail. Okay. Okay. So in Anne Rice's world, uh, this is the beauty of talking about vampires because they all have different rules. Like every single iteration of a vampire has different rules. Um, the vampires and Brian Lumley vampires, they fuck. They fuck all the time. In fact, they can make their penises bigger and stretchy in order to fuck
1: whoa okay like in the in this fictional universe
0: no not this one brian lumley Bri- oh, okay. brian lumley he's he's more of a the vampires aren't as sexy they have more sex but they're less sexy they're more like lovecraftian monsters
1: god i'm so ashamed i know this little about vampires
0: <laughs> well well it, we're all learning i believe uh, jack i hope you're listening and taking those to you son of a bitch <laughs> um in the Anne rice world when you become a vampire, basically all your traditional bodily functions cease. So you no longer, in the film, they they change it up. Uh, Louis still cries. In the novels, the vampires cry blood because the only liquid in their system is blood, meaning that their sexual organs no longer work once you become a vampire. Hmm. So the vampires, and Amorite's vampires, do not fuck when they're vampires, unfortunately not.
1: I mean, it sounds like you could get a boner with the blood. You just couldn't You would come. think
0: so. You would think so. But no, she makes it very clear that once you become a vampire, that whole system just shuts down. Mm. Um, okay. And, and the only way you have sex is through, like, staring at other vampires or biting them, that, that sort of thing.
1: Uh, all right. Well, that makes it a little less appealing uh, to sign up to be a vampire. <laughs> but... uh no, it adds. It definitely adds a dimension to my understanding of this story.
0: Apparently, they don't miss it. They say, according to them, they don't really miss mm. it because everything else gets heightened. Like once they become, you know, vol cells, like all their other abilities get better. So they they can. They're still very sensual, just not very, just not sexual. Okay, like, so wh-
1: it's like being on Molly constantly.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Sounds great. <laughs> All i'm into right. it no it seems like uh sex might almost be beside the point in a vampire movie because like the the bloodlust is like a stand-in for that
0: especially in this one because especially in the the early scenes where um uh, tom cruise's uh lestat and brad Pitt's louis are just tramping around new Orleans. Eating um, slaves and sex workers, like all those scenes are like almost explicitly sexual. Like y'all, all the women have you know these heathen bosoms. There's one one point where he's talking about like he eats a very handsome young man, and he talks about much like they're very very horny without actually having functional sex organs. And then it's uh it's different.
1: Yeah, I mean whatever floats your boat. <laughs> It is very homoerotic, I will say.
0: And this was part of the controversy with getting the film made because it is a love story between two men that raise a daughter together and who are in love and talk about being loving one another. I think Anne Rice was kind of tr- tried to get around it by, you know, not making them explicitly have sex, but it is a love. These, they call, uh, Louis and Lestat are lovers, even though if they don't have sex. And so that's part of the reason why it took so long for this film to get made. Cause I think the book was published in the seventies mm. and the fit and it was a hit. And the, uh, and the second one was a hit too, but the film didn't come along until the nineties. And she actually at one point, um, rewrote the script so that Louis was a woman and Cher was attached to be Louis. She even wrote like a song for the what? soundtrack. Yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, why have a woman when you could just have 1994 Brad Pitt with his long, beautiful hair?
0: I know. He's he's a beautiful, beautiful man, especially at this point. I don't know any uh, women at the time who were hotter than him at this point. I'm sorry.
1: No, definitely not. And Tom Cruise. I got to give it up to him in this movie, too. It's actually, it's interesting. I was reading some reviews that came out when the movie came out, and they were talking about the choices of... You know, the casting, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise to play these vampires, especially Tom Cruise, because he's yes. like this like old, weird, decadent, crazy aristocrat or whatever. And at the time they were like, oh, well, it's an interesting choice to have such like a white bread, normie, all-American guy as Tom Cruise playing this like creepy, weird, culty, aristocrat killer dude but like now it doesn't seem that weird
0: not at all um a lot of people were very upset because you know like with several vampire series and fandoms they people had a real specific idea of who they wanted Lestat to be uh one thing is he's supposed to be six feet tall which is actually tall for the age that he was born in um and Tom Cruise is not that in fact they had to dig trenches um whenever Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt are walking. They look the same height because they dug a trench for wow. Brad Pitt to walk in. <laughs> That's why wow. they look similar. And so they were like, a lot of people were very pissed. And Anne Rice was vocally upset about Tom Cruise, uh, playing, um, playing with Stat. And it, it, it was a really troubled, uh, shoot and production overall. They were always shooting at night and swamps and, and like not very good uh places and then there was all this controversy about Tom Cruise being the star and like the the writer was vocally against it. Now, she as soon as she saw the movie, she took it all back, but it was kind of too late cuz she already pissed off uh everyone including Tom Cruise.
1: Interesting. I did yeah, not it, know that. Yeah, I think he's really good in this role.
0: He's great in it. He's almost too good because Watching it this time, I've seen it several times. Watching it this time especially, I don't feel sorry for Louis whatsoever. He's just like a whiny sad sack compared to no, how— he sucks energetic and charismatic uh Tom Cruise is in this like and Louis just sits and whines and complains about everything. And Tom Cruise he just revels in being like an evil asshole and it's like so much more fun than Louis' shit. Like Louis, this and this is something that kind of happened with the book because in the book it's just like the film where Louis is the main character and Lestat is kind of this villain that comes and enters and changes his life and is the more the antagonist but everybody who read the book saw were was much more interested in Lestat the guy who becomes a vampire and actually kind of likes it and so the rest of the series now they're like 15 books they're all about Lestat she never wrote another book that really focused on Louis
1: that's 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 good because like okay I know that Anne Rice kind of set a pattern that endures to this day in terms of being one of the first writers to write about vampires as protagonists and have this kind of sensitive, conflicted, brooding vampire character. And like, that's obviously been picked up by like Buffy and Twilight. But like, given the choice between those two, who in their right mind would be more interested in, like, the boring emo cuck vampire?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Not me. No. And, you know, like, so At we when we open the film, all Brad Pitt does is he wants to die. He wants to die because his wife uh, died in childbirth. This is another change to make it less, uh, get homoerotic. Um, because in the book, he doesn't have a wife. He's just a young guy who wants to die. I think because his brother kills himself or something, something like that. And so they gave him this wife they're supposed to care about. And that's, and then Louis, uh, then Lestat finds him, turns him into the vampire, and we're off from there. And Louis, he, now this is really, you know, it, it's very clear now. Maybe it wasn't so much in the air in 1995 when the film came out but like louis owns slaves louis is a slave owner he lives on a plantation he has slaves he's already a bad guy and then when he becomes a vampire and gets to live forever he just mopes and whines more because now he thinks he's evil suddenly
1: yeah no i definitely caught that part and i was like whoa
0: like
1: is this gonna be a theme In the movie, and then it's like, no, it just kind of goes away.
0: I feel like they, it does kind of pick up on it a little bit because Lestat, he, when he goes out hunt oh, he does eat, you know, slaves and sex workers. But he says he likes, you know, killing rich people more because they're more evil and they taste better, too. So there is kind of somewhat of a class consciousness, at least from Lestat. And also he calls out Louis' hypocrisy about, like, you know, just being a whiny baby, like, you weren't that good a person in the first place so I didn't I, so I never and uh, we do have to give Louis credit he did free all his slaves technically in this film so um, Louis he, he's not canceled he he did it before the Civil <laughs> War
1: yeah he's all right he's woke he's a yeah. woke vampire <laughs> uh, the class analysis is interesting because I was trying to figure out what if anything, this movie was saying about class because uh, they do eat some slaves and some sex workers. They eat some aristocrats, too. They're almost like equal opportunity murderers. Although, yes, the aristocrats do taste the best. Um, and like we, we've we talked about vampires in terms of capitalism, right? Like uh, we did an episode with the lit crit guy where we talked all about Gothic Marxism and the metaphors that Marx used to try to describe the system of capitalism, um, a lot of it was, you know, the gothic novel was emerging at the same period. So he used vampires as one very evocative way to describe uh, the capitalist class. But I think in this movie, and in a lot of vampire stories, like, they're, like, older than capitalism, right? They're these, like, feudal lords. Yes.
0: So uh, Lestat is actually from, like... uh of kind of like a fallen, um, feudal family. And when you go into his, his backstory and he, he was really unhappy and depressed when he was like a little lordling, um, back in the day until he became a vampire. And then it, it, it's kind of funny because he didn't become like cultured and learn and to read even both. Before, uh, until after he became a vampire and abandoning his family, like one thing he did that pissed off before he, when he was still human is that he went and became like an actor, which was considered a very lowly thing for an aristocrat to do. But he was uneducated, illiterate until he became a vampire, and then he actually took the time to read and learn. And he actually says um, that when he speaks, he sounds more like a Dashil Hammett. Uh, speaks English actually. He sounds like a gumshoe like a dasho hammock because he read a bunch of pulpy novels in order to teach himself english and so with Lestat, like he is an aristocrat but he's always somebody who's portrayed as like thinking the entire system is kind of stupid and silly and they call him the brat prince because he doesn't really like bow to any authority he doesn't like authority he doesn't like bossing other people around and that's why he's such just a fun loving kind of guy he just kind of does What he wants and he thinks everybody else is kind of a fool or a hypocrite or talks too much or is annoying. He kind of he moves in all these like compare him to somebody like Armand, you know, who is, you know, Antonio Banderas at his most Antonio Banderas. (laughs) And like Lestat just has no patience uh, for that type of, you know, aristocratic airs, generally speaking
1: so he's like a class traitor i mean yes that.
0: yeah that is definitely a class traitor. in queen of the dam the um now they made did make a f- pretty bad film about it but the novel he literally like kills the queen of the vampires basically like he attacks like the king queen messes with the king and queen of the vampires like he's not supposed to touch him you're not supposed to talk to him but he's just like i don't give a shit i'm gonna do what i want so he literally does up in the entire class structure of vampires as well oh hell yeah, yeah like Lestat's a really like inter- interesting energetic mm. character and just watching this he's supposed to be the villain but you end up cheering for him so much more uh than louis um but i did feel a little bit sorry for louis once claudia came along um this portray Claudia portrayed by what's her name? Kirsten uh, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, who very she's a very weird actress I feel and I feel like it started with this movie like a lot of people commented like what a strange role this was for a child to take on because she's supposed to be playing you know a woman in a child's body with a woman's feelings and desires but in reality she's just like a 13 year old girl too and it was actually a little bit controversial at the time because there's kind of a little sexual tension between her and her character and brad pitt's character too
1: yeah that that was a little bit creepy um uh, in the the scene where she's like bemoaning the fact that she's never going to grow up and have a woman's body uh me and sean were watching it, we're like don't worry you're gonna have really nice boobs someday we, we saw them <laughs> in melancholia
0: <laughs> but Cla- so claudia so Louis all pissy and doesn't want to kill people even though he owns slaves and Lestat gives him like here here's a daughter like she should make you happy and they kind of form this little family out one of the scenes I really like in this film is the montage of Claudia just mass murdering everybody in New Orleans it's really really good.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm totally here for that. I mean, anything involving little girls and creepy things, like, that's just a classic combo. Um, I I recently went to the the Island of the Dolls, actually, in Mexico City, uh, La Isla de las Muñecas, and it had kind of a similar vibe. Uh, I don't know if it had any... I don't think it has anything to do with vampires, but, like, a little girl drowned in the canal, and a man... The man who lived there started putting dolls up in the trees to try to appease her spirit and uh he's dead too now but to this day they've maintained this like creepy doll island that like people bring their kids to.
0: Oh, I'm looking at it now. Oh, this is fucked up. This is really Oh yeah. <laughs> creepy. Uh and it does kind of remind me of some of the set design in this film which is I think pretty phenomenal like Oh yeah. You really feel like you are in, you know, pre-revolutionary new orleans and you know uh uh ancient and not ancient france but uh, uh i guess you would call it turn of the century france and you feel like you're in these worlds and it looks also real like i you don't see movies like this anymore unfortunately
1: no it looks amazing
0: yeah, all the textures and the colors and all those little plants, the rooms with all the plants that they have in their home, they look like almost like paintings. Um, the way these scenes and sets are designed. Like it's it's a very like beautiful film. Neil Jordan knows um what the fuck he's doing. I don't know why he doesn't make more movies. I think part of it was that this one movie was successful, but not as successful um as it was expected to be. And if you want to know who uh, some of the people in the studio blame for this, it's Oprah, actually. What? Yeah. um, What did Oprah do? So they had, you know, back when she had her, you know, daily talk show, she would always invite, you know, whole cast of movies to come on and talk about the film before it came out. And she did that with Interview with the Vampire. But, you know, Interview with the Vampire is a R rated violent, you know, sexy movie and, uh, and very violent, some very violent scenes later on. And she went on and on about how violent it was and like how she couldn't handle it. And this, and that show came out like after the first week of the movie. And after that, like it had a pretty significant drop off in box office and so there was always this rumor that tom cruise and oprah were in kind of a feud because uh she sunk his movie
1: wow uh, I mean, do you think it made the feud better when he uh jumped on her couch?
0: <laughs> like every Was time, part of it. Every time uh, Tom Cruise would go on Oprah, something bad would happen to his life. Like he became a meme for like a good ten years because of that, because wow. of the couch jumping.
1: I guess Oprah had the last laugh there. Man, that's interesting. You would think that it might almost have the opposite effect. If Oprah was like, oh, it was so intense and scary, like it might make people more curious.
0: You know, that's the interesting thing about this movie, like the who who the fan base is, because the fan base for the novels are aren't like you know young guys who want to see blood and guts they're like you know older women primarily who want who love the you know the sensuality and the romance and also enjoy the blood and guts too it's like they're more it's more aimed at an oprah audience but you know the people who you know actually like seeing you know people chopped in half and women decapitated on film generally aren't the oprah audience i would have to say
1: well, it's interesting, right? Because look at the people who like mainstream vampire shit, like Twilight. Now it's like, I guess going back to that, it's kind of the same thing. But there's this, you know, there's two sides of the coin. It's kind of silly because, like, of course, if if vampires were real, uh, there would be a lot of blood yes. guts, and it would probably be really scary and not that not that fun. So, like. If you want to do like a realistic depiction of vampires like sorry you're going to have to show that stuff.
0: And and this is why I like Anne Rice cuz she does get a lot of crap for you know turning vampires from monsters into these sexy brooding things but she never left out the violence like ever she never you know she actually you know made some innovations in the violence now it's no longer a stake to the heart now you basically have to dismember decapitate and burn them alive in order to uh kill them she was always she always had it in her to be you know this like this real horror uh element to it she never really forgot that even with all the flowery language and you know people opining about gardens and men being uh, you know deeply in love with each other even though they can never physically consummate she had all that too she had all the twilight shit but also like still kept it real on the vampire side
1: yeah, I mean you have to. If you want the sensuality, you got to take the fangs with the sensuality, you know? Yes. <laughs> like otherwise like what's the point of vampires? Just like read a freaking Fabio romance novel, you <laughs> yeah.
0: know. And 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 that's why she 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 and she has written like Fabio romance no, novel that like her Sleeping Beauty series is uh more of that, but when it comes to the vampires, you know, she's a legit you know, vampire person, so stop blaming her for ruining the vampires. That was all that was Stephanie Meyer, okay? It's not Anne Rice, or, or even like Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon probably deserves more oh credit god. for defanging vampires than Anne Rice does because there's oh. literally no blood in um Buffy.
1: <laughs> oh my god, Angela is the worst character, and like <laughs> Spike becomes a bad character when he's good,
0: yes, yeah. Uh, I, I. So we can talk about Buffy, because I love Buffy, and I don't think I can get Jack talked about Buffy either. But I I really like comparing this to, like, they tried to make Angel into, like, a Louis-type character, or Lestat, depending on, like, when he becomes evil, he becomes Lestat. When he's, you know, a good guy, he's Louis, but at the end of the day, he's just, like, this whiny guy who's in love with a teenager, even though he's been around for 300 years.
1: Yeah, even when Angel is bad, he's kind (laughs) of boring. I much prefer like the punk rock spike, uh, punk rock, evil, decadent, depraved dude with I guess he's got a heart of gold somewhere in there. But like, whatever, that's not what we like about him.
0: No, we like him because he's evil and he revels in it and he and has crazy. fun and crazy and has fun and has fun. That's the most, I think that's the real thing that separates, you know, the Louis from the stat or angel from Spike is just, you know, if you're going to be able to live forever, be young forever, never be hurt, never grow old. You know, you can be rich just because like you could probably have like a bunch of gold stash somewhere. You can do whatever you want. Why be depressed? Why be sad? Why be miserable about it? Just enjoy it. Enjoy your eternal, unending, unchanging life.
1: Yeah, you can try literally everything you want to try. I mean, minus food, I guess. But like <laughs> in Buffy world, you could try like every kind of sex. No, right? In Buffy, they you eat. Can, like,
0: in Buffy, I think the vampires uh, can eat. Can they? I think so. I don't think they can eat food. I think I, they can only eat people okay well we'll have, we'll, to we'll, fact, we'll have to
1: fact check that
0: you know and rice goes into great detail about the reason vampires can't eat food is because it will just like get stuck in their gut and they like can't really like to, so in the scene where he they get turned into a vampire and he says your body is dying in the novel it makes it clear like all right this is you having your final poop <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice I'm into that. That that is like a classic question that somebody asked on God, like Yahoo Answers or something. Do vampires poop? Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah yes.
1: If it came a meme, it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, in Anne you get one last poop and then that's it. You're uh, you're done. So that's why. They I mean, I'm
1: I'm down with that. Like less time pooping, more time for fun.
0: More time eating people uh, and murdering people, and so. You know, at a certain point, uh, they decide to—well, not even Brad Pitt because—not even Louis decides to do it because he's so passive and sad. Like, he lets a little girl do it for him. Uh, She decides to murder Lestat uh, and get rid of him. And it's, like, just this ultra-violent throat cutting scene you just see brad uh you just see tom cruise america's uh male sweetheart get his throat slashed from ear to ear as he bleeds out and the effects are so good so good
1: yeah uh i was thinking that too for 1994 especially like i'm impressed at the level of gore that they were able to accurately depict in the movie i also like it that the little girl is the one who has the courage of her conviction <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like oh if you hate me so much like why don't you just fucking kill me like he can't even do that he just wants to whine about it like she's like i am fully a killer now um you made me this way there's no going back but i can exact some kind of retribution and she does
0: and she does. And then, um, she kills him and she thinks he's dead. He comes back as like a fucking fucked up zombie. More oh great, uh, more great effects on it. They did a really, uh, good oh. job on all the effects on, in, uh, this film. I believe it, it was Stan Winston, you know, who did, you know, everything, you know, Jurassic Park, uh, Terminator 2, like all types of, uh, really good shit and they so they have to set them on fire to kill them too and there's there it's just like and this is where you know you really get to see like new orleans like on fire and burning like it, it just it's just such a great you know shot of uh the film that's filled with it's just so lush even like the really horrific violent scenes are like beautiful beautiful
1: oh yeah I also really love the uh, the theater where all the Antonio Banderas vampires hang out. Like those are some amazing shots as well. It just looks like a painting or something.
0: Yeah, like so he gets he they travel around Europe. They don't find they're looking for more of their kind. It's kind of lost in the in the plot. But the thing is like. He, No one knows what vampires are. Louis and Lestat never tells Louis about any other vampires. So he kind of thinks he's the only vampire in the world. So they go on this big quest to find some more. And then, of course, for some reason, they go to France last. I think that would be the first place you would go looking for more vampires. Seriously. Uh, but they go to France last, uh, and they find like a bunch of vampires who run uh, like a theater. They have like a little theater group is, is pretty nice. I actually have to say, like they don't do the same, like it's almost like a vampire improv group actually too, because they do do improv. Um, they have audience participation where they actually, um, strip and eat, um, real people on, on stage. And everybody thinks it's just so wonderful.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense to, like, if you want to talk about the class analysis again, like, it makes sense that these, like, airheaded aristocrats just think it's awesome and, like, don't really realize that this is actually a very dangerous place for them to be.
0: Yeah, and, like, they're all being kind of mocked Um uh... By like the vampires, they're in complete control. Like they, like you know, in in general, we uh, in general, like you know, being an actor, being stage play was kind of looked down upon as a profession by aristocrats. Well, any job, having any job would be uh, looked down upon by these people, and so they're just there to laugh at these players, but. Those players could slaughter them all anytime they felt like it. All those people could be as wealthy as them if they felt like it. i honestly not sure what all the vampires, like why they run this play other than it's just fun. They just enjoy um, acting, I guess.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, they've got nothing but time on their hands. It's important to have a hobby. And if you are like a decadent and depraved uh, class trader aristocrat, uh, what better hobby than to prance around and toy with these uh wig, be wigged fops? You know,
0: <laughs> I think th- I don't know if the wigs were in fashion at the time, but it's pretty close. Uh, the the,
1: the, they're, the wigs are implied. I think <laughs> they're they're just these like gilt. They, they're these bejeweled uh, fail suds, You know,
0: and it's and, it's, and again, you know. We're getting to more of the violence and how Anne Rice just does not fuck around. Like, this is not, you know, Twilight. This is not just them staring into each other's eyes. Uh, there's a, like, you know, people talk about in the end of Infinity War and how Thanos turns everyone to dust and how it's so sad that Peter Parker says, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so well. That scene ain't got shit on this one when, Uh, Claudia gets left out in the sun, the bank, and turned into uh, Ash.
1: Oh my god, that was so brutal.
0: It's so brutal it, and so brutal and also beautiful because like when the, when, you know, they're there and they're, they're just dust. She's, you know, turned the woman into a vampire to be her mother so that she can let Louis go and be with Armand, who he's now possibly in love with. Like, um, I guess Armand was more of a rebound guy for Brad Pitt, uh, ultimately, but he, when he goes and they're just, there in ash and the ash crumples just like perfectly her face is the last part to disappear and it just covers brad pitt it's like it's so good it's like you know kind of the first time in the film um where brad pitt is you know the brad pitt we know and love kind of the less of a whiny baby and more of kind of a a little bit more of a badass kind of brad pitt like i'm gonna get my revenge brad pitt
1: Ugh, yeah, that part was so sad. I liked Kirsten Dunst in this movie. I thought she did a good acting. She, she had a very hard acting job, especially for a 12 year old. Yes. Um, I, I always find child actors to be a little bit creepy because they're just like precocious beyond their years. Uh, but like that really worked in that context.
0: Yeah, like the the scene where she cuts her hair off and is yelling at Tom Cruise and um, bitching him out. Like it's a really good scene. Like you get the feeling that she is a woman trapped in this girl's body, and she kind of gets that. Like I, this is probably my favorite Kirsten Dunst role. I don't think I really have liked her that much of anything else. She, uh, but she killed it.
1: No, oh, you didn't like Melancholia.
0: I haven't seen it yet. I haven't gotten around oh. to it. I feel like I like that movie. I'll I'll try it out. I like I, oh, that just, movie's brutal. I just don't like 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 Spider Man. Like she's not a Mary Jane to me. She's much. She's too creepy to be a Mary Jane. She's like kind of oh, weird, yeah. kind of creepy. Like I I don't know what why she was cast in that role. Other than Sam Raimi is kind of creepy guy too, and that's <laughs> and that's who he would oh, go yeah. for. She
1: makes and like I hadn't even seen. Uh, apparently I hadn't even seen this movie and I still think she makes everything that she's in a little bit creepy and a little bit off even like that cheerleading movie you know
0: yeah yeah she she
1: was in a cheerleading movie right yeah
0: yeah uh bring it on
1: oh and also oh the one the the beauty pageant one
0: you know what the the one I'm talking
1: about oh fuck no
0: I don't Oh, God. I'm just looking at her I have, to, I have to
1: look this up now.
0: <laughs> All uh, right. We got she was Small Soldiers. That was when she was kid. Virgin Suicides. I'm sure she was creepy in that. Was it Drop Dead Gorgeous?
1: Oh, yeah. D- yes. Uh, no. Wait. I don't know what I'm Wait, talking that
0: about. Is a be- that is a beauty pageant yes. movie. It's a black oh, yeah. comedy. Uh, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: But yeah, Ooh, Chris- now
1: I need to now I need to watch that again, too. <laughs> yeah, like everything she's in, she said, she just brings that like almost Lynchian, like all American girl gone slightly wrong vibe to it.
0: Yes. It always feels like when you're looking at her, like she's just ready to unhinge her jaw and eat something whole. Like there's just something she feels like a Junji Ito um, creature just ready to come to life at any moment. I feel when I look at her
1: yeah okay i think you're gonna like melancholia then
0: all right i will definitely check it out back it's like
1: you you might need like a a blanket and a cookie afterwards though because it will destroy you isn't it about like the
0: end of the world basically oh yeah oh i should be emotionally prepared for that i mean we're going through it um for real
1: Yeah. Fair enough. This this one is like a, a fast end of the world, though. I feel like what we're experiencing right now is very slow.
0: Oh, so it's a happy movie. It's an optimistic one. But there's less suffering. Exactly. Um, and so we Brad Pitt, he uh, he gets on one. Um, once they killed, uh, Claudia and murders all the vampires in the theater in the most brutal ways imaginable. Uh, I was shocked when I saw this when I was, I don't know, 12 maybe, just because of how violent it was for like what was supposed to be a serious adult movie. Like it's, it wasn't necessarily billed as a horror movie, but he straight up decapitates a woman on screen and it's, Dope. It's a badass uh fight violent vampire action scene.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a horror movie. That scene uh wow. Yeah, watching that I'm like, well maybe it's good that I didn't see this when I was a little kid." <laughs> my I think it's honestly my mom was like very protective of me seeing too much violence when I was little and of course at the time I thought that that was really lame and annoying, but like maybe it was for the best
0: well i did see it when i was very young and i'm glad i watched it a lot actually i had on i taped off hbo watched this scene in particular over and over again just because it's so badass it's really just a well made like this is a better fight scene than you see in any of in most action movies nowadays you know um just him kicking ass murders all the vampires. Then he runs into Armand, says, I know you were the one who, uh, sold me out and told him to kill Claudia. It's fine. Whatever. He kind of gets over it, uh, pretty quickly. And then that's the rest of his life. Like he, um doesn't really do anything except go to the movies and hang out, um, in America basically for the rest of the film. And that, you know, brings us back to the present day because this is all him telling his life story to Christian Slater. Um and that character was originally supposed to be played by Rupert Phoenix, but he um did he passed away just a few weeks oh before God. uh filming.
1: Wow, that's weird. I think Christian Slater was really good in that role. Uh it's weird, like they don't do that much setup as to how why he's even interviewing him. It just he just says like, Oh, I followed you because you're interesting or whatever. Yeah, it, I found that a little abrupt.
0: Yeah, you don't know if he's a journalist, if he's a podcaster, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess the modern day he would be a podcaster, like NPR or some shit like that, f- trying to find the people of San Francisco. Uh, it
1: also uh, begs the question. I mean, it's 1994, so like it's not what it is now. But like, I hope that he owns that apartment in San Francisco. Because, you know, he might be a feudal lord, but even feudal lords can get gentrified
0: uh, out of the city. <laughs> I know, like how, like, that's the most, if they remade it uh, today, like, you have to explain in great detail, like, how does he afford to live in San Francisco at all, um, even if, you know, he has a bunch of gold berries somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, the aristocracy didn't really stand up to the rising uh, capitalist class. And it's been like a few hundred years since then. So uh, it's it's I guess it's nice for the vampires that they got to remain. They got to retain some semblance of their uh, their titles and their wealth from that era. But like, I'm not sure how it works out economically. I guess gold is just still a very good investment.
0: Yeah, they just, like in the novel, she just basically says, like, they invest in stuff, they buy certain properties, and then they might, you know, go underground and sleep for 70 years, and then they wake up, oh, they're rich again. That sort of thing. And there's more vampires around. They've all kind of be doing the same thing, and they can kind of take care of each other. But there are some interesting points um in that are presented in the film too where the kind of hints that sometimes he's not been so well off um he took when he when uh louis burns down their plantation and he brings him to sleep in the crypt um and he's mm-hmm. like oh is this what you like now are you happy now we're living in a crypt now implying that like he's had to do that before um like he he talks about how you you know you he had to keep up appearances in front of the slaves because if they turn on us we'll be sleeping out in the field somewhere and you know and uh, in the novel, he actually, when he's being mean to Louis, one time he says that, oh, the only reason I chose to make you a vampire is because you had a nice house and I wanted to live in it. And you, Wow, wow, that's some cool shit. Yeah. So you, you do get the sense that like you know it can go up and down for a vampire not all of them you know live on this high horse and I think that is something interesting that kind of Anne Rice did bring to it not necessarily maybe not necessarily a class analysis but like not all vampires are as rich not all vampires are living in you know gothic castles you know we weren't there were no vampire castles (laughs) in this film just a vampire plantation and they didn't hold on to it for that long it was mostly like vampire apartment vampire studios uh for the most of the film
1: yeah i was gonna ask like are there any working class vampires because it seems like even the vampires who fall in tough times they they used to be feudal lords right and it's like this downton abbey thing of the fallen aristocracy and the rise of the bourgeoisie like are there are there vampires from other classes of society
0: there are but ultimately uh with the novels, they really are more of like a fantasy thing, and their primary concerns are, like, when you become a vampire, you basically are no longer part of the human world. So whether you live in the crypt or you live in a castle, it's just basically up to your choice, really. Like, if you really want to live you know wealthily in public you could but most a lot of vampires are like kind of fine sleeping in the ground they think it's like kind of cool there's like paleo vampires who think that you know if if to be a real vampire you should be in a cave and all this sort of thing like they, so they have different depictions of it you never really get a full sense that anybody any vampire is forced to into poverty even though some have more than others you always get the feel because it is a it's she, Anne Rice isn't writing about class or capitalism she's just writing about vampires because she thinks they're cool kind of there are some elements to it but when the ultimate structure of the world is such that if a vampire wants to be rich he can be rich
1: I mean that that must be very nice for them. Um I am a materialist, so I always want to bring it back to like the political economy, <laughs> even if that is not uh something that Anne Rice thought about. But uh one thing I was thinking about while watching this movie is like it seems like they're very choosy about who they turn into vampires, right? Like at one point she the Claudia floats the idea like Oh, we could people the world with vampires, but I don't think that really goes anywhere. Like you'd never hear about like a vampire apocalypse, right? Because oh, ol- I-, I get the sense that only so many vampires can be supported by this uh, this feudal horde or whatever that exists and it's also like special you know like not just anyone is cut out to because once you turn someone into a vampire you kind of have you're kind of stuck with them
0: yeah exactly that that's kind of the main thing is once you turn somebody into vampire you're stuck with them so that's why they don't make so many vampires because they don't want to be stuck with these people they don't want to be responsible for them. and uh, and part of it too is like if you really um sometimes vampires will fall in love with a human and they really love them and the stat can do this and most older vampires can read other people's minds and that allows them to be closer to people. But if you turn someone into a vampire, you can no longer read their mind anymore. And this Mm kind of creates a separation and all vampires end up like, Whoever, any vampires who live with each other long enough end up hating each other and probably wanting to kill each other, basically. Um, and that's what happens in this film with Lestat uh, and Louis and Claudia and with the Theater of the Vampires because Armand uh, basically uh, mind tricks Louis into murdering all of them. Uh, it, it's, it's this kind of. I don't know, but this, you know, it's, and it's funny because Anne Rice stayed married to her husband until he passed away, but her, the implication in all her books is that, you know, that sort of love isn't really possible over, you know, a hundred years. Like, you're, go- eventually mm-hmm. you're going to get sick of one another and hate one another.
1: That is so sad and also seems very uh, influenced by someone who was in a bad marriage when she was thinking up these stories, uh.
0: <laughs> it's possible. I, but I, my 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 thing thinking is more like ultimately the vampire chronicles is like an ongoing soap opera and you can't have a happy ending to any of these relationships you can't even have an ending to them they have to keep going people have to keep falling in love and breaking up and going away from each other and having these fallouts where they don't talk to each other for centuries and then coming back etc cetera, etc cetera. so i don't know if she was trying to really make a Big commentary about this because there are instances where people are truly in love with one another, and so the solution is for them to never talk to each other again. That, that yeah. happens several times to Lestat. He'll find someone that he's in love with, and then, like, I can't be with you because I'm a vampire. I'm gonna let you be human, so we'll never see each other again. <laughs> uh,
1: that is so sad. Lestat is so interesting. Like, I want to read all these books now. Fuck everyone who doesn't think this movie is good. Uh, I don't really get how anyone could not be fascinated by vampires. Yeah,
0: it's it's very fascinating, and I do. I I will definitely say the books, the Vampire of the Stat, the direct sequel to of you, the Vampire is like amazing. It just sucks you into this world like I I love stories about like a few hundred years ago like worlds and places like I can't possibly even imagine ever going to experiencing and Anne Rice does a pretty you know good job of building this world this uh that Lestat lives in and like it's just a really fun adventure Queen of the Damned too is pretty good too that's more like a big like action movie that's like more of her blockbuster novel have you seen the movie version of the Queen of the Damned
1: I haven't. I heard that it was kind of bad, but I kind of want to see it now. It's
0: bad. It's has nothing to do with Interview with the Vampire. None of the cast returns. Not the same director, not the same budget level either. It's much more of a, a low, mid-budget film. Because it's like the equivalent of like a direct-to-DVD um, sequel, but Aaliyah is in it, and she's amazing in it. I like Stuart Townsend, uh, generally speaking, so I enjoy him as a stat. And this I thought it was kind of cool. They got Jonathan Davis from Corn. So this part of the story of the Vampire Lestat in uh, Queen of Dam is that Lestat decides to become a rock star. <laughs> uh, okay. be, it, he t- he tells everybody he's a vampire, and of course everybody just thinks he's a crazy rock star, so nobody believes him. So he makes songs about being a vampire, and in the movie they get uh, Jonathan Davis. To do all from corn to do all the singing for him.
1: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And that's like such good character development, too. Like, that's one thing you don't get to do when you have a character who only lives a normal amount of time, right?
0: Yeah, you don't get he gets to live out all these different lives. Um, eventually so he becomes a rock star, has a great feud with the queen of the vampires. Eventually he becomes like the king of the vampires and he's pissed off because he doesn't want to be like this leader this le- stodgy leader figure because the king of the vampires, if that person dies, all the vampires dies. If he goes out in the sun, he might get a Tan, but every other vampire will get lit on fire and all the younger ones will be turned to ash instantly. Oh, shit. So he's in control of all that and he uh, ends up hating it and trying to pass it off. Eventually, this is really weird and really He's
1: out there like Marilyn Manson like I'm not a fucking role model yes
0: exactly <laughs> he becomes a thing he hates um and the last novel um that Anne Rice wrote where is Lestat and I think the lost city of Atlantis it's revealed that vampires are are actually of alien origin. Like, she turns it into, like, a completely kind of sci-fi thing. You thought it was, like, a spiritual fantasy thing, uh, bec- but it becomes a sci-fi thing. Before that, he meets, like, Satan, possibly. He meets God, possibly. He travels through time and drinks the beloved Jesus, possibly. You're not really sure if any of that happened, if it was a delusion. Lots of shit happened. That goes through some shit. <laughs> over wow time.
1: are you saying that vampires are ancient aliens
0: Pos- yes that is posited in the most wow. recent book
1: that's fucking fascinating
0: and, and she had she had interesting commentary about it too because like you know someone the interviewer asked her like you know this is delving like straight into science fiction and that's not really how your books are usually sold or marketed and she said you know i went to sci-fi conventions in like 1974 and they got my book and understood it. Like sci fi nerds like liked my stuff. So I don't really see it as a violation to have, you know, the spiritual el- the supernatural elements of my book be explained in these sci fi like ways. She thought it was kind of a natural uh progression.
1: Yeah, like who cares? It's fiction. You can bend the rules of fiction. It's not like you're being unfaithful to what vampires are really like, right? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> the one exception I do, uh, since we talked about Buffy, um, and we had David Hayter, who's the voice of Solid Snake, on the show uh, a couple episodes ago. And he says, in any film, you can only get the fans to accept one type of magic. Um, and so uh, when I think about vampires and Buffy, when the Buffy bots, the Buffy, the robots that were in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer that the nerd, the evil nerds made. I always hated that because the premise of the show is that everything about our Buffy's world in our world is the same, except there are demons and vampires. And so it doesn't necessarily follow that like a 15 year old can create a Human replica cyborg that's completely convincing. I always, I whenever I get to those episodes, I always kind of cringe because I hate that. What, where you stand on robots and Buffy?
1: Yeah, those were my favorite episodes. Oh. I gotta say. <laughs> so maybe I just undermined my own point. I don't know. So I, I would like to ask you a question mm. because um, what I learned from the lit crit guy about gothic Marxism is that it's about. Respecting the popular culture of a time and trying to sort of extrapolate some signs of where we're at as a culture based on what stories become popular at that time. So, what does it say about the mid 90s that this is a thing that people got super into at that point? You
0: know, it, it's kind of a hard question because. Do we actually start in the mid nineties or do we start in the 1970s when these books were initially a phenomenon? I guess the film getting made in the mid nineties does say, and you know, with this, uh, the homoerotic element does say that the culture was changing and evolving a little bit when it comes to, uh, um, uh, homosexuality, LGBT. TQ issues like maybe it was saying the society, society was almost ready for gay parents to talk about it and be public because this is about two part of the, a large part of this film is about two men raising raising a daughter. Um, wh- when it comes to the rest of the film, like I, when when I, when I watch Interview with the Vampire, what I really like just see now is less what was happening in the 90s and more what was what's not happening now you're not getting big budget r-rated movies made for adults you know you're not getting big budget movies made for adults period whether they rated or not you're not getting something this violent and this sexy and this you know with this t- with this serious tone anymore and it being a hit movie and so i can only talk about kind of retroactively it's like you're not getting this anymore because so many things have changed the way hollywood operates and it's all a a financial thing and and it's not really society deciding it it's been decided for us by the three or four company multi you know billion dollar companies that still make movies I'm sure if something like Interview with the Vampire were to be made and come out and be marketed and promoted the same way today, it could find similar success. It's just not going to happen because all those big companies would just rather make a superhero movie or a cartoon or a cartoon superhero movie. So so I don't really know why I can extrapolate from the 90s other than I think – hollywood film culture was a bit healthier more daring more interesting because this is was a challenging movie to make to get made and still had the biggest star of the time in it it had the guy who was gonna be the biggest star for several years in it it had you know and they weren't afraid to do it like i i, I just feel like it, it, it's just like it's there's so many like things of elements of this film that are disturbing and troubling and we and we we talked about this with David Hayter like that that's what made you know Blade Runner so interesting now is because it's not a comforting film I think there is a David Foster um, Wallace speech where he says that's the difference between like real art and entertainment like it's not just something that just comforts you And I think Interview with the Vampire, even though it's an extremely enjoyable, extremely fun film, like this is a film about a girl being murdered twice, a little girl being murdered twice, you know, this is a film about Tom Cruise getting his throat slit, about a woman being stripped naked and murdered on stage while everyone cheers. This is a, you know, deeply fucked up film, but it was still a huge film that millions of people saw in theaters. Everybody was onto it. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone was excited for it. Everyone was down with it. And now when you look at the films that occupy the space now, they're all just like, you know, these kind of mostly meaningless cartoons now. And like, you just don't, get that anymore so i'm not i'm not really sure what it says about the society but it does say about the uh the powers that be in our culture now have you know squashed films like interview with the vampire like it's not coming back in fact they are going to they are working on um, turning the Vampire Chronicles into a streaming show on Hulu. Like, that's the only, mm. that's where you're going to get something that might be challenging, but it's not going to have the budget. It's not going to have the biggest star in the world. It's not, it, it might be as violent, but it'll be mostly CGI violence. It's just not going to mm. be the same thing. And I've been coming to grips with the fact recently that maybe like modern film culture is kind of over.
1: Ah. Uh. Uh, yeah, I guess it's all moved to TV now. That's supposed to be like the new prestige thing, which, as you have discussed, is um, kind of kind of garbage. Yes. <laughs> like they're just trying to trick you with the nice cameras and the meandering uh, plots that this is like high art or whatever. See, this is what I like about you, Leslie. You actually know things about the entertainment industry, and it really uh, enriches the understanding of, the stuff that you talk about whereas i mainly just think about it in terms of like what does it mean in our culture that people like this stuff i mean hereditary is one counter example i think that was a surprise hit that caught on that wasn't like a big hollywood movie right yeah
0: you you know i i I talked i was talking about this on twitter because we just did an episode in scarface and everybody knew about the chainsaw scene even if everybody knows about the chainsaw scene if they even if they never see scar seeing scarface i knew about it years before i watched the film as people like what's the modern film equivalent of that of this you know of a film that penetrates the mainstream culture so much so that even people who don't watch movies see it uh see it and somebody suggested you know the scene in hereditary where uh the thing happens that everybody <laughs> talks about when they see hey. it but the but if i i feel like if i ask people at my workplace uh what did you think about that scene in hereditary Ninety, no, one hundred percent of them would ask me what is hereditary. Like it was, it was. Um, I think it was financially. It might have been financially successful for the studio, but like not that many people really saw it compared to how many people saw Interview with the Vampire. I don't think like I, like something like Get Out is a probably a better example of a modern film that kind of took that had some artistic merit and also was you know pretty popular and penetrated the culture but there's very those films are very few and far between uh we were uh i was having a discussion with uh some people on twitter where we were talking about like the top 10 movies of each year and like when you compare it like what was the top 10 in the 70s like last tango in paris was one of the top 10 films the year it came out that film would could not be made now maybe it shouldn't have been. maybe it shouldn't be made now but something that you know depravedly sexual being the top 10 movies of the year like very explicit very adult like that's just something that just will never happen again i don't think
1: well that i mean not until we get rid of capitalism right yes
0: but yes once we get rid of capitalism movies will come back
1: like really like people want to say that capitalism produces the best stuff but like look ha- how crappy hollywood movies are right now and maybe maybe they'll change their minds yeah. about you know what what creates things of cultural value yeah
0: watch alita and then watch captain captain marvel and then tell me uh, that capitalism is uh, preferable and then watch stalker you know seriously All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Jamie, to talk about vampires. Um, Where can people find you?
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Um, Yeah, check out my podcast, The Antifada, that I do with uh, Sean KB and AP Andy. Uh, You can find it at patreon.com slash the antifada or in any podcast app. Just type it in. We've got an episode out now that I'm very stoked about. Um, Andy went down to Mexico and actually did some interviews with people from the migrant caravan that's currently in Tijuana. Yeah, and he got their stories uh, in their own words. Uh, We got someone to translate them. Um, He talked to some people working at an anarchist mutual aid center that was providing... They provide two meals a day to people from people waiting to apply for, for refugee status or for asylum or um, like they'll, they'll feed anyone there too. If like just the regular Mexican people want to come get food, they can do that too. So like those were some really good interviews. Uh, It added a new dimension to the, you know, the crisis at the border that's been manufactured by the Trump administration and, you know, the Trump administration wasn't the first administration to treat immigrants badly. But, um, They're the latest. Yeah, the latest and worst, I guess. So I guess technically you would out. call it
0: greatest, the latest and greatest, even though, with different implication.
1: Uh, Ugh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, and then we've got, what's coming out next? Sean just walked away. Well, you just had uh, a great episode
0: with Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, what?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Um Kim Stan that that was amazing, actually, um, uh, to interview Kim Stanley Robinson, one of our sci-fi heroes. Man, like we're starting to realize uh like an author of some nerdy books that we really like, even if they're like very extremely famous in the sci fi world, like they're they're probably chill people. You can email them yeah. and ask to interview <laughs> yeah. them and they'll Probably do it. He was super, super chill. Uh, And we we let uh, Will Menneker from Chapo sit in on that one because we know that he likes Kim Stanley Robinson as well. Uh, Oh, and we've also got a series called History is a Weapon that Sean has been doing with uh, Matt Chrisman, also of Chapo. They're like big history nerds together. So we've got a new one coming out on Monday. Uh, on camp of the saints do you know about this book
0: camp of the saints that's the one that steve Bannon likes right
1: yeah yeah like all those alt-right people like this horrible racist book written in the 70s by gene respy and i think it gives kind of a window into like what's driving the ideology of these right-wing figures and it's it's just like some of the most racist, horrible shit that you'll ever read in your life, but I think it's important to understand their psychology. You
0: know, you know I, I know the premise of it is like the West is destroyed by mass migration from uh, black and brown people. And I'm like, that sounds like a pretty good idea, actually. <laughs> I don't, I don't think <laughs> I don't think they can do any worse.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's some dark shit. <laughs> The West, as if the West is even like a real thing yes. to begin with.
0: Yeah, as if it's a real thing. If it's if it's a good thing. Um, yeah, like, like the the conservative, like is, we could do like we I, we have we don't re- we generally talk about stuff that we like, but we never really dive into like con- extremely conservative art. This fearful thing, like how do you make like conservative science fiction? <laughs> like, like it's just like you know antithetical to the entire concept like the idea is that oh all people are going to come together in the future and it's going to be so much better it's not going to be like the might the you know peasant hordes are going to destroy this wonderful world that we already have it's like no the world we already have is pretty shitty and it's only going to be improved by us breaking down the barriers between people
1: oh yeah i mean conservative science fiction could be something like independence day you know where we project all of the things that we know humans do onto the aliens yeah yeah. so they're just these like horrible homicidal war mongering frightening yeah (laughs) bug creatures that just like use up all of a planet's resources and move (laughs) on like hmm i wonder where they got that from yeah
0: (laughs) all right thank you so much for joining me jamie
1: oh thank you so much for having me i will talk about vampires with with you anytime you want especially one as cool as vampire lestat who sounds like the angles of his time and i'm definitely going to read more about him oh
0: yes have a good one folks peace peace out Like what you hear want to hear more check us out at patreon.com struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle for all our public episodes commercial free as well as hundreds of bonus episodes thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong